Have you ever been thirsty? I mean, really thirsty. I have, and I'm sure you have too, but I can't remember the exact day or date that I've ever been so thirsty that I didn't find a bottle of water, a garden hose, a, you know, a cup to drip in, a, or hands to put in a stream or something. I, I, I really can't tell you that way back in 19-whatever, I was so thirsty that I died because obviously I got water at some point. And I, I've read this week, and I think scientists and doctors will argue over how long a person can go without water. Some say three days, some say weeks. It just depends on what you might be consuming in addition to that. But most of us have experienced thirst at some point in their lives. Now, I'm not Bobby Boucher, but have you ever paid money for some high-quality H2O? And you will pay some high money. There you go. They're free in the back. If you'd like a bottle of water, you can go in the back. Um, but if you've been to the airport, you've probably paid north of $5 sometimes for a big bottle of water. So, of course, as my mind works, I started Googling where's the highest water, and there are water bars now across the United States. Did you know that? There are water bars. You go to a bar, and you sample different types of water. Washington, D.C. has a place called the Water Bar, and I, I found this online. I went to their menu to see what they offered, and they've got water from Chile, water from, you know, United States, water from, you know, Colorado River, and $25 is nothing to pay for a bottle of water. In fact, if you want the Beverly Hills 90H2O Diamond Edition, you will pay $100,000 for a bottle of water. Now, some of you have already pulled your phones out to Google that, but it's on there. Now, if you can't read it, I don't believe everything you see on the Internet, and I would never pay that, nor would you, but I did pay, and I'll show you this next picture. Brenda and I, I'd come back from a deployment, so anytime I was deployed, I got in better shape than I'd ever been because it's either work or work out, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, and, and I had ran a lot, and Brenda had chased four kids for the period of my deployment, so she was in great shape already. And we decided instead of riding the tram up to that restaurant, we would hike up the trail that goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, you know, for like what would have been probably a hundred-yard walk became a three-mile journey back and forth. It took about two and a half hours. This was July in Switzerland. Uh, we'd gone to the Baptist Conference at Interlaken where uh, we should do that as a church. <laughs> Let me tell you, we, Brent and I have been there probably five times, my various assignments overseas and when we could afford to come back. Churches from the States would volunteer to do the child care at the conference, and they could come and stay for free. And let me tell you, these conferences, here I'm chasing rabbits, these conferences only go till about lunchtime, and then you're free all day to go check out Switzerland. So, yeah, so maybe we need to get on that list, and I'll write somebody in the European Baptist Convention now. In any event, um, where was it going on that? Who knows? Such a great story. We got to the top on this hot day and get to the restaurant, and you know, everybody speaks English, and our 
inability to speak anything other than, it usually embarrasses us, but vasa, water, oh, whatever word it is, water, water, water. And they brought out a bottle of water that had like kind of one of the pull-off tops. I mean, like it's got a hinge on it with a cork or rubber thing like that. And it was cold. And of course, we tried to explain to them we wanted cold water, not tap water, which often you get glasses without ice or with, no, not cold. It was the best water. I have no idea what it cost, but we consumed it all, and then it had another bottle before we ever even ordered anything to eat. So that day, dehydrated, exhausted, nothing to draw water from. If there had been a well at the top of that hill, we were so thirsty. And that is our insert to the text today as we come back to the Gospel of John. As we begin in the fourth chapter, Jesus comes to a well looking to quench his thirst. He encounters a woman who is going there to draw water for her home, and there we have a theological discussion that crosses cultural barriers and obstacles in an amazing way. Let me give you just a little bit before we get too far ahead on on this text. These first two or three verses, you'll notice uh, that Jesus has been observed by the Pharisee. He and his disciples are baptizing now more than John was baptizing. And to avoid potential political problems, because obviously the Pharisees worked with the Romans and other leaders, that here's a rival, what could be happening, and rather than avoid problems with them or to be forced into a situation of a popularity contest, He withdraws and goes back to Galilee, and that's where our text begins. So if you have your Bibles, let's look at, and I know that there are um, lots of verses. I mean, there are 40-some-odd verses that will cover this encounter. Today, we're only going to take the first 14, and that's a lot. But uh, I'll begin at uh, verse 1 of chapter 4. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. I think that's an interesting place to stop right there for just a moment. You know, could you imagine if you were baptized by Jesus, but somebody else in your family was baptized by Peter? That would always be something, you know, I was baptized by the man. (laughs) You were baptized by the rock, you know, and back and forth, back and forth. So there's probably intentionality in that. And also, some commentators would say it was to give them truly something to do in the ministry. You know, they're coming to me. Now, go and baptize these these followers. Verse 3. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. I'll mispronounce it that way the entire time. You pronounce it how you want to. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, so if you count from sunrise up, it's probably about noon, about the heat of the day. Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, 
If you knew the gift of God, who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. If you would, I'd invite you to join with me, please, in prayer. And I want to pray especially for the city of Buffalo. If you watched the news last night, and saw that tragic shooting in that grocery store, people just merely going to get groceries and struck down by an 18-year-old who had racism in his heart. Let's pray. Father, this text goes well for our society today. Jesus stepped across and stepped into a minefield of cultural and social barriers. He came headfirst to a woman who, by all means, most Jews would have never even spoken to, much less even recognized. They wouldn't want to make eye contact. But Lord, he not only made eye contact, he made heart contact. He spoke to her of the living water that comes from you through him, the grace, the mercy, and forgiveness of salvation. Lord, in this hour, as we consider these words and how it speaks to us in this modern day, ask us, help us to ask ourselves, are we sharing the water that we consume? Or has Jacob's well become my well and no one can drink from it? If it is as good and wonderful as what the words of these scriptures teach us, how much we should be sharing the sweetness of your water, the living water that redeems, restores, and brings into fellowship with you. We pray, Lord, for our nation as we have seen in the news last night and this morning of a shooting once again, not unlike the one we had here in Texas just two or three years ago at a Walmart. People shot by the color of their skin. Lord, forgive us. Help change our society with the gospel that comes from you. Speak to us in the day. Speak to us in this hour. Speak to us afresh. For I pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So, if you remember when we hit Nicodemus in the third chapter, I said this is the first of three interviews in these early chapters of the Gospel of John. So we had Nicodemus's interview, and then I had, I think, Nicodemus's follow-up interview because I couldn't get it all in one. And I thought it was important for you to have a name associated with this woman at the well. All too often, she's remembered for how many marriages she had, perhaps a checkered past. And often there are us who become spiritually arrogant, and we remember her only for her failures, if you will, her sins, versus what she would do later in her life. So I think 
if you have the title slide in there. Her name, given through the Orthodox Christian church tradition, is Fotina. It is a word which means illuminated or enlightened. You can see the, the text part of it, photo, photocells, it means light. She would become a saint in both the Orthodox and she's recognized in the Catholic Church. There's a, I think her day of feast is sometime in March. She's attributed to being an evangelist, not only for her community, but she would also uh, live long enough to be a martyr for the faith. So I think it's important to refer to her not just as a, you know, anonymous woman with a checkered past. This is an evangelist, Fatina. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, uh, I need to set the stage of Jacob's Well. I know some of you went to Texas State, and you probably went past Wimberley and went to, did you ever been to Jacob's Well? I have never been there, but after watching videos on it this week, I want to go. Not, not necessarily with you, but I mean, I, I want to go. Uh, it, it is this, anybody, you guys went to Texas State, have you ever been there? It's supposedly a wonderful, like, swimming hole, right? It's kind of like protected by the state, too. This beautiful water, deep well that, go, that goes down, I think they said 150 feet, and then goes out like a mile that I guess people used to go down scuba diving in, and they lost many people because it has lots of small caves at tributaries. Well, the Jacob's Well that we're talking about today is not in Texas, so I just thought I'd need to tell you that because some of you think Texas is so big that Jesus visited Jacob's Well in Texas. No. Uh, in fact, I found this clip, and this is, you know, I like to show video clips because sometimes what we see and what we hear, we can understand and comprehend a little bit better. This comes from uh, the producers of the uh, video series, um, The Chosen. I think it's from The Chosen. But uh, look at some real-life pictures of uh, Jacob's Well. We're here in Jerusalem, and uh, one of the things that we got to visit the other day is Jacob's Well. Now, they wouldn't let us film much there, so that's why we're here talking about it. This is not Jacob's Well. But we were able to see this the other day, and that is the site of one of my favorite Bible stories. Would you give me a drink? The two main reasons why I love that story so much are, one, that it broke down racial and religious barriers, that he would speak to a Samaritan woman, and then, number two, that he spoke to a woman. That's bad, huh? What? You, would you ask her to drink from me, a Samaritan, and a woman? A Jewish man and a Samaritan woman talking was very, very much against culture, both racially and gender-wise. This was at a time of day when there was no one else around. Normally, the women would go together in the morning before it was too hot. She was there by herself. Because of her checkered past, she was disrespected in that town, and Jesus knew that. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? The text tells us that Jews didn't have dealings with Samaritans. Now, why? why? And there was a great enmity that existed between the two because the Samaritans believed that the Jews had corrupted the Torah. Jews believed that God had chosen David and his descendants to be the leaders of the people. The Samaritans thought they were the ones and their descendants were called to be the leaders of the people, that the priesthood was meant to be the center. Okay, they so this is sounding, I'm going to stop you for a second there because this is sounding like today. Yeah. I mean, there was, I mean, even being here in, in Jerusalem, I'm seeing Looking over the city, literal divisions, where yes. this is where these people belong and this is where these people belong. So this was happening even back then. Absolutely. Jews worship on Mount Moriah, on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. The Samaritans said, no, it's on Mount Gerizim. That's where we're supposed to worship. They had all of these religious differences. 
that led to this hostility that existed between them. And what I love about it is that Jesus, Yeshua, didn't allow any of this to stop him. In fact, I think he intentionally wanted to cross these racial barriers, these religious barriers, these gender barriers, to show that God is for everyone and that he is a uniter and not a divider. So crossing barriers, first thing I pull out of the verses we have today. Um, Jesus, it said, had to go. Lou was in my office. Deacons come in my office and I often pray before. Uh, well, they do every Sunday, but change out which deacons come in. And we prayed. But before we did so, I said, let's read the King James. And it's a little wordy. Um, it, it implies an, in, an urgency as well as a intensity that Jesus had to go. Now, I read multiple commentators this week that would say uh, a Orthodox Jew of the day would never have gone through Samaria. They would have had to have gone around because, as I alluded to earlier, just eye contact with a Samaritan might risk your defilement for religious you know, rites going into the temple. Obviously, touching, eating, drinking, those would be the things that you wouldn't do with those people if you wanted to go back to the temple and, and worship. So there are some that would say, why did he do that? The urgency, he had to go quickly then, and he wanted to cut off some some uh, space. Well, Jewish historian Josephus says that, uh, he kind of argues against that, that most Jews did go through, even the religious Jews did go through Samaria, and there was a chosen path that they would go through. Uh, you see that Jesus' disciples in this text have gone to get food, so there must be, if you will, a kosher place to buy food in Samaria, or even what he was buying would have put them at odds with the religious leaders of the day. And if you know, if you read the rest of this text, if you know this story, Jesus spends two days there with her as she is witness to her town, and the townsfolk want him to stay. So the urgency was there, yes, but I think he had to go because Jesus became the one who would reconcile people who chose to say, God only loves us or God loves us us and doesn't love them. He tried to bring, and he does, brings us together saying, God loves us all. It doesn't matter what side of the tracks you were born on, what socioeconomic, what language you speak, what color of your skin, what gender you are. He's coming to bring us together, and he's crossing barriers as he did that. So, would I say this was a very intentional journey? He had to go. And I would like to ask you, how many of you are intentional as you journey from day to day? How many times do you cross barriers with the gospel? Ask yourself, how many non-Christian friends do you have? And no, you don't have to answer. How many times have you invited non-Christian friends to your house for dinner? or for lunch, or meet them for coffee. Most surveys will say that after a person becomes a Christian, within two years, they have no non-Christian friends. They unite with the church, they get in social circles that only have to do with their Sunday school group or their discipleship group, and there's nothing wrong with those, but they have no way to then go back with what they have learned, what they have received from the Lord, and to 
try to cross barriers and share with the lost. I believe uh, that it's so important to be able to re-engage with the world in which you perhaps came from. Learning evangelism techniques is so important. Uh, Saul Juarez uh, is teaching right now in uh, our Spanish uh, church, Nuevo Pacto, uh, evangelism strategies in Spanish. And I know each of you here have probably gone through evangelism explosion, Christian witness training. We did the three circles here. We're always trying to find new ways to help engage the lost and to communicate the good news. But many times we, um, it's like we use pamphlets like, uh, I know I'm talking about Lou. This is two for Lou. I haven't seen where Lou is. It's like the B-52 flying over, dropping the bombs. We're dropping, you know, tracks and thinking those tracks are going to witness to someone. And, and yes, the God can use this. I had this conversation with Dan this morning. You know, God can use a track? Absolutely. If he can use a donkey, he can use a small pamphlet. But how much more uh, personal it is when you reach out and talk to someone, when you cross barriers like Jesus did. You know, I read this this week, and I, I just have to share it. I, I don't know how well it works in this little section. But it says, evangelism is like horseradish. People praise it with tears in their eyes. <laughs> we must break down the barriers with our neighbors, with our own countrymen. What happened in Buffalo, New York makes me sick. I am so tired of the racism that seems to flow freely, that the white supremacy or whatever you want to call it that's going on in our country. If you think God loves you because of your skin color... You are so confused. The greatest barriers to evangelism are not theological. They're cultural. Typically, your next-door neighbor doesn't have a theological axe to grind with you. You could probably go to that neighbor and talk to them something about what you believe. Invite them to church if you'll only cross the barrier of their grass is greener than your grass. Christians today become little holy huddles without the ability to bridge back into the non-Christian world or culture. I alluded to tracks, and I came across this one this week. There's a picture here. Uh, this uh, first picture is from, or it's a blending, of Garrett uh, Wyman. who was a uh, waiter at a little restaurant, and uh, he got one of these uh, fake $20 bills. Um, and in it, it talks about something that, that there's something more valuable than, than money. And, of course, that is the gospel. But uh, so many times, as this young man had written in on this website that I, I read, um, you know, the, the tip was so important to him. And he thought a $20 tip, you know, for whatever hamburger and french fries and drink he had served up at that counter, you know, he was so disappointed. And, and that track probably did more harm than good. And uh, the article went on to relate a restaurant in North Carolina. And, and I, I dig through these. Whenever I see an illustration, I want to make sure it's, it is true, and it is. There was a deep-dish restaurant uh, in, in uh, North Carolina, and, and uh, one of their waiters got a similar one. And stamped on the back of it was the church's name. And the waitress was so disappointed with no tip and a fake $20 bill that she showed it to the manager. The manager found the ch church address and sent an email to the pastor. 
and I have it for you to listen to, just because maybe we could learn from it too. Dear Pastor, it actually names him Simmons, I'm the general manager of the Deep Dish uh, Plaza um, Pizza House in Midwood, and imagine one of my servers surprised when she received a small pamphlet. Every one of us will face eternity one day, and on and on it said, instead of a tip, she received what I assume was one from your congregation, for it's stamped that on the back, and I don't know her particular religious beliefs. We don't discuss those at work. However, I do know that the pamphlet won't pay her mortgage, it won't pay her electric bill, it won't make her car payment, it won't even buy a tank of gas. It concerns me that someone would supply a pamphlet in lieu of fair monetary exchange. Suppose your congregation felt it was sufficient to tithe their personal writings instead of 10% of their income. Your church wouldn't be paying their bills for very long, I think. It would be great if you would use this in a sermon. And of course... According to the rest of that article I read, he did. And if they are sharing tracks now, it is with an explanation. And it is not in lieu of a tip at a restaurant. And if you've done that, and I'm sure I probably have. I remember there used to be a one you handed out. It was a million dollars, right? It was like a million dollar bill. And oh, wow. You know. So I'm not, I'm not belittling you. I'm not trying to make fun of you. I'm just saying there are better ways to engage. Jesus met a woman that by her race, by the place in which she lived, by her gender... Culturally, he should have never spoken to her. Considered a half-breed, if you know the history of the Samaritan people, when the northern kingdom fell in 722, the Assyrians took all the skilled, or most of the skilled Jewish workers and leaders from the northern part of the land and took them away. And they brought in slaves that they had had from other conquered nations. Those that remained, the Jews that remained, intermarried with these slaves that came in. So they became a half-breed, a mixed race. And as that video shared, the Samaritan uh, nation or people who were of Samaria only used the Pentateuch, the, the first five books of the Bible. They didn't look to the major and minor prophets. So some of the things that Jesus might have said to her didn't really resonate perhaps like it could have. However, Jesus takes time to be with Fatima just like he took time to be with Nicodemus. And if you compare and contrast the two, here's a man who is of social status, Nicodemus. And here's a woman who has no status. In fact, we'll talk about in the coming uh, sermons on perhaps why she came at lunchtime to get water without the aid of friends. He was wealthy. She was poor. He was a leader. She was barely a follower. He was an insider. She was definitely an outsider. But both needed Jesus. Jesus risks all to reach out to both. And he breaks down the barriers to share his living water. And that's our final point. The theme of water runs throughout the Gospel of John. If you remember just in the, his exchange with Nicodemus, the fifth verse of chapter 3, he says, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Now here in chapter 4, in the verses we read today and as follow, he'll talk about the fact that this living water will flow, this will be a stream within you. And in later, on the seventh chapter of John, verse 38, he'll be talking about the fact that if you believe in him, you'll have streams of living water flowing within you. Interestingly enough, the Greek word that is used here for well is really a word when it is literally translated. 
It is a word for a flowing spring, what we are to be for the Lord, this flowing spring of life. Here at Jacob's well, you know, remember, if, remember your Old Testament, Genesis 48 is when Jacob basically passes this land to his uh, descendants. Jesus asks for a drink with no cup, no bucket, nothing. And I have to hand it to Fotina because she kind of pushes back. Who are you to ask me? A Samaritan, a woman, you're a man. Won't you be defiled? She kind of pushes back with him. And she avoids maybe her own stereotypes, just quotes the stereotypes of his own culture. And then she even says, you know, this is Jacob's well. You know, do you offer water better than he could offer? Jesus answers her and says, yes, I do. The water that you will receive from me will quench you forever spiritually. Physically, yeah, you're still going to need water. But spiritually, you will never thirst again. So I'm trying to think, how can I illustrate this? And, you know, I like cars. So imagine you're in a Land Rover, which it's running because I've owned a Land Rover, and they break down a lot. But you've got a good Land Rover, and you are driving through the desert. And make it the Sahara Desert. And all of a sudden, you run out of gas. And you have no $100,000 bottles from Beverly Hills to drink of water. You don't even have an Evian bottle. You don't even have a Perrier or whatever that seltzer water. I don't like that stuff. But I'd be drinking it, I'm sure, if I had ran out of water and it's in the desert and I had no gas and I didn't see any help coming from me. What would you start to do to drink? If you knew you couldn't walk out of there and you had to wait for somebody to find you, what would you be drinking? I thought, well, would I drink the windshield washer fluid? You might. Would you drink the oil or, or the transmission fluid? Nah, that'd be terrible. You wouldn't do that. Would you drink the radiator fluid? Well, I hear dogs like it. They say it's sweet. I've never, I may have tasted it by accident, but I don't think I ever intentionally drank it. But I'm sure you would get to a moment when your mind cannot think straight and you might try to consume that. Would you consume your own bodily function or your own bodily stuff? You know, I don't even go over there. Some of you say, well, you might because you've gone crazy. And to me, that's what illustrates our world. I looked on the Barnes & Noble website this week. There were 16,000 books they sell on spirituality. 16,000 ways to find something spiritual that satisfies. Here's a book written by men from God, God-inspired. It says to us that the living well that never shall run dry, that which satisfies your thirst, is Jesus. So why, just like in this world, we pursue every other sin, every other evil, every other thing to find satisfaction, but we won't pursue the one who's identified as the living water, which satisfies. And I'm sorry if you own a Land Rover. I didn't mean to insult you. Look at verse 14. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I wonder how much we draw from that water in our own lives. I know here in Texas or in San Antonio, I think we're in stage two of the 
drought, you know, every year there seems to be a drought. There's, you know, it doesn't rain enough here. It's not desert-like, but, it, you know, and it, in fact, we went home to get stuff at Mom's back in Illinois. It was so green. We went to North Carolina the week before that. It was so green. I came back to Texas like, there's some green. <laughs> there's some green. And it's probably where my uh, septic system is spraying, you know. Hmm. There's probably an internal sermon in that. But think about the fact that we live in a drought-like place. And we have this well of our own that satisfies. Why don't you share that water with someone else? You know, my neighbor, when I drive by his house, and my, my wife will know exactly who I'm talking about. He's the guy with all the dogs, or used to have all the dogs, walks the dogs. His water sprinkler is one of these water cannons. It literally looks like one that came off of a football field. I mean, he could line it up at the house and probably shoot the road. And I thought, that's the way our church should be, spreading the living water of Jesus Christ because we have a well within us, a never-ending well, that should overflow to all we see. So thank Fatina today for engaging the Savior. I'm glad she pushed back so she could hear from him who he was. And you'll read later on, next week we'll see, it's the first time in the Gospel of John he identifies with being the Messiah. He takes the title of Savior in these following verses. So, will you break down barriers with the Gospel? Will you take the Savior, the living water, into this dry world in which we live. Stand with me, please, as we pray. Lord, as we come now to a time of invitation, and we ask that your Holy Spirit rain down upon us like waterfalls upon each one who's here. Lord, if there's someone who has never tasted the living water, I pray that they would invite Christ into their life today. And Lord, if there's someone here who has been off the path, they've sought a path of dryness, they've sought an arid land, bring them back to the water of the well of Jacob, which, Lord, is symbolic for that which comes from you. For, Lord, I pray that Jesus would restore in them life, eternal life, this living water of knowing the Savior Jesus. Lord, if there's someone here who just wants to come to these steps and pray, members of our prayer team will be here to greet them. Lord, I pray right now that your spirit would move in a mighty way, and I ask it all in the name of Jesus. Amen.